0: Welcome to They Live By Film, a platform dedicated to bringing you film discussion and interviews from around the world. I'm Adam Lundy, and I'm joined as always by Chris Haskell and Zach Bryant. Hello, gentlemen.
1: Hello, hello. hello. I'm, I'm digging the new intro. It's good.
0: Yeah, it's classy. It
1: yeah. gives me a little bit of
2: whiplash. I'm like, oh, no, he's messed it up. And I'm like, oh, right. We don't <laughs> do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah oh, it, I
1: know. It's the Uncanny Valley thing. It's close enough to the reality. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's going
0: on, yo? Yeah, not much. I'm feeling a bit, feeling a bit groggy. I was at a football game last night. I had beers and shouting for a team that I've never heard of before, but I'm now a diehard fan of for the rest of my life. Um, so yeah, a bit groggy, a bit tired. Uh, in the state, it was. It took place in like at Ireland's national stadium, in the Viva Stadium, it's like where Ireland play like their soccer games and stuff and um, so 51,000 seater stadium so like pretty decently sized for Ireland anyway um but about halfway through the first quarter I went out for to get a beer and the closest beer stand I went to were like oh our card machine isn't working sorry we don't take cash because uh, after since COVID they just don't do cash so it's like oh, our card machine's not working sorry you will have to go to another one okay uh, i went down to the next one which is like the big main one had a big massive lines and i start hearing rumblings like the beer is free the beer is free the beer is free and i'm like okay and i was talking to a steward and he was like yeah all the card machines aren't working in the whole stadium the system there they're using is not working and so the beer is free so
1: just came back with
0: like a ton of free beer and then i was walking by the food stand and i'm like i wonder if the food's free so i walked up and i was like can i have like two burgers and two hot dogs and she was like yeah it's free so as I came back to my seat with a ton of beer, two hot dogs, two no burgers. Way. Passed them out to my friends. So yeah, that was, that this, was the that case for most never of happen it.
2: Happen in an American stadium, like they it would just rather not sell it. No like, oh, fuck you.
0: Honestly, if it was an, if it was an Ireland game, so if it was like an Irish soccer game or something like that, they wouldn't have sold it either. They wouldn't have given it for free. I think it's just because they were just sucking up to the Americans. Because it was it was I was surprised how many Americans had traveled over. From the teams, like to watch them because I I had assumed it was just like an exhibition game, like a friendly game, but it wasn't. It was actually the first game of the college season uh, for these teams.
1: Oh wait a minute! You're saying it was
2: it was college football?
0: College football, yeah.
2: So this was oh. American football. Sorry, I was making the assumption it was soccer.
0: Oh. Oh, and it's sorry. I should have made that. I should have made that distinction. We say soccer in Ireland as well because we have Gaelic oh. football. So, so you guys we, are correct
2: too. Good.
0: We need to distinct from Gaelic football. So we call it. A lot of people will call it soccer here as well. Uh, uh, no, it was, no, this was American football. It was Nebraska versus Northwestern.
1: Northwestern. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. What? What? uh uh Who won?
0: Northwestern just about. Nebraska kind of choked in the last quarter. They gave two that interceptions. about right. Yeah. So it's
1: <laughs> funny. I that is a. I, don't, I guess you're kind of. I don't know how much you know about college football, but Northwestern up to. 15 years ago never had a dream of beating nebraska like nebraska is one of these storied football programs you know
0: okay i i I was able to gather that they were big enough teams i know they're not quite like clemson or alabama or anything like that but i had gathered that they're sort of you know still quite big teams um yeah Yeah. i enjoyed it i enjoyed i know i'm now a husker for life um it, it, though, the, the crazy no. thing is
1: a Nebraska fan would cringe at you saying that because 30 years ago, they were in that, um, you know, they were in that top sphere of teams. Really? And then just... Tuscan corn gets you strong, man.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, they just slipped. Wow, oh, so they ended up losing yesterday. That's crazy. Yeah. I I was excited for college football starting, but it's kind of like the soft land opening. It's not the grand opening. That's next week. Um, and, uh, it was a birthday weekend. We had two, my, my wife and her dad both have birthdays this weekend. So we were doing some celebrating. So after that's, we get off this, I'm going to catch up on some scores from yesterday.
0: Cool. Yeah. It was a good game though. And I was just happy that it was, it was actually like a good game. And well, that's an close. issue
2: with like NFL. Like from what I noticed is those teams are so jet lagged when they get there, they play the yeah. shittiest game and you can um, like, they'll miss like 30 yard, like field goals. You're like, yeah, they're not feeling it. <laughs> Yeah, no, def-
0: definitely wasn't the case. Now, these guys were really going for it. Like in the first, on, on Nebraska's first drive, they scored a 35 yard touchdown.
2: Oh, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. And it was right in, it was right underneath where I was sitting. I was quite high, which is good because I, so I could see stuff properly. It was just, yeah, it was great to see it sort of happen sure. in real time. Like, um, yeah, it was a good game. I think it finished 28 25 or 28. It, there was only about four points in it when, um, Nebraska had one last drive, no touchdowns in in the final two minutes, or no no timeouts in the final two minutes. Nebraska had to drive down the field and then they threw an INT and then they just obviously. That's 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 the good, drama. That's the good yeah, drama of
1: sports, there.
0: Yeah, it was good. It was an enjoyable game. Uh, I brought I went with um one of the, one of the guys I work with who is into football and then my one of my friends from home who has never watched
2: football in his life. Uh, he enjoyed it as well, so um, it was good. It's got to be the most confusing game, though. If you don't like keep up with it, you're like, "What are they doing?" Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was Why giving does the game some... stop every two minutes.
0: Yeah, I was giving them some pointers as to like what to expect and everything like that. But anyway, this is not Good Morning Football. Yeah, um, we just
2: this drove is... away every person who hates sports. <laughs>
0: yeah, this is they live by film. We're here to talk about some films, um, as we mentioned last well not last episode last last episode last episode is the interview uh with Joy from terracotta so if you haven't listened to that listen to it this episode we are going to be talking about two films that zach chose um the first of which is a czechoslovakian film from 1970 uh directed by a dude called yarmel yermesh or yeresh um it's called valerie and her week of wonders um I'll give you the IMDb description. I don't think it matters. But um, a surreal tale in which love, fear, sex, and religion merge into one fantastic world based on a classical Czech novel of the same title. Uh, so, Valerie and her Week of Wonders. This is my second time watching this film. Have you, either of you guys seen it before we watched it this time? Or was this the first time Watch
1: this for you guys?
2: I watched it, like, a week before I picked it. So, I was like... Okay. Good, cool. I already know what you're picking.
1: Makes sense, yeah. Yeah, no, I had not seen it. I would have probably protested a little bit if I had known about it, but we'll get into that in a minute. Um, uh, Glad to see everything once. But uh, no, first time. Uh, And first time for the Yiddish movie. And I know that he's, you know, one of these Czech New Wave kind of darlings. So uh, interesting. Yeah,
0: he hasn't, he didn't make as many... As he, he didn't make as many acclaimed films as maybe some of the others. He was in he was part of that pearls of the new wave, um, sort of anthology film that sort of kind of kicked it all off. And I know he has a film called The Joke, yeah, quite highly regarded. Uh, this is the only one. This is the only film I've seen from him. Uh, like I said, this is the second time I've seen it. I saw it for the first time maybe about a year or eighteen months ago, something like that um i can't remember i think i came across it on a list of like uh underrated horror films or something like that i saw it on some list somewhere and i thought oh cool it's only like an hour and 10 minutes long i'll i like check films kind of up my alley sounds fucking wild um it's about puberty and i think that's all we can really say justifiably (laughs) um
1: yeah um I, I would love to hear, if, if it's okay, Adam, I would love to hear, because uh, we have a free reign to pick anything, right? Um, yeah. So I would love to hear, uh, before we get too much into it, the, the impetus, Zach, what, was, what, what made you pick this one and, and, and the theme, which we can, we can wait to discuss the theme if you want, but what, what made you go for this?
2: Um, so I, like I mentioned, about a week before I picked this, I had seen the movie, uh, and the reason I had actually picked it is because I'm a glutton for punishment And I'm in this horror Discord group, and this guy was going through, like, every major list of, like, greatest horror films, and there was, like, a few things he picked out that he wasn't going to watch, and this was one of them. So when somebody says, I'm not going to watch this horror film because I think it's upsetting or whatever, I'm like, yep, so I'm going to watch it because i got to see what it is. (laughs) Cannibal Holocaust, Sallow, (laughs) Serbian film at this point. If you tell me I shouldn't watch it, it's the first thing I'm going to do. Wow. So I watched it and I just really liked it. Uh, I, I understand why some people are against watching it. Uh, I do understand that. But I did just like generally like it a lot. And for this and the next one we'll talk, which is going to be Company of Wolves. It was just like these were the when I think of like Grimm Brothers fairy tales. This this is it. This is like, you know, this isn't. This is the tone I think I think of when you're thinking of the actual like written story and not like the Disney story version of stuff
0: the way of putting it yeah, yeah. I, I had joked when you had announced that you were picking Valerie I joked that I wasn't going to watch it again because I wasn't going to get anything more out of it <laughs> uh, I did watch it again in the end I had time during the week and I said you know what Like, it's a really hard film for me to say if I like it or not I do in theory like the film um, it's an interesting film I think it's well made. Um, I think it has some really cool ideas and some cool visuals. It's just a really uncomfortable film to watch for obvious reasons, which I'm sure we'll touch on. Um, so that's why I was kind of, uh, yeah, I was kind of unsure about watching it the second time because it's an uncomfortable film, and also just because I just don't really i i i get like the main sort of underlying theme, but i i, I have trouble following the story. It is definitely surreal um and doesn't follow sort of standard conventions of narrative um i don't really get the story a lot a lot of the time um yeah but at the same time like i'm glad i watched it a second time i think i understood it a little bit better this time and i was able to remember things that i definitely would have forgotten about had i not watched it a second time so, so yeah, I suppose you can say I'm glad I watched it a second time. Um, like I still give it four stars on Letterboxd. So I do think it's a good film. It's just it's just a tough film.
1: Yeah, I was I was mad at you uh, when I was watching it, Zach, because I it 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 appealed to all my sensibilities that love surrealism. Um, and I'm pretty sure that this director must have been a fan of Wojciech Haas. Do you know that guy that he was um, polish guy uh, did, my
2: polish goes is andre zolowowski at this point so that's about as far as it goes.
1: He, the only one that is sort of probably transcends all you know like international kind of recognition is the hourglass sanatorium any chance you'll have heard of that i've it was, heard it but i don't know anything about it i've heard of it it has a very much like a monty python type of aesthetic not not humor but but sort of look and feel um He was a surrealist as well. He probably would have gotten along great with Terry Gilliam. Um, This one, I think, had similar kind of... Yeah, the way that he dealt with fairy tales, and it felt like it could have been a Hoss movie. Um, But I don't get it. Like There was another film that I saw recently because I've been trying to watch all the Fun City editions, Blu-rays that they're putting out at one of the partner labels, and it's a movie called Belitis. And it's another movie that just casts like a lustful, you know, eye on 13 year olds, 14 year olds. And I just don't get it. Like, what was this? I know it's in classic literature. So I guess you could maybe try to justify it by saying like 200 years ago, you know, the age of consent was 13, not 18, but I don't know. I don't buy it. Like, you know, they, it's, the sexualization of these young girls and the actresses are actually like 14 in this. So it's just, I just don't, I don't need to see it. Like, I don't, I don't know why it was made. I don't think it needs to be preserved. Like, I don't know. I don't, its I don't know. I just felt icky the whole time. Like, like for sure. I didn't like it. Yeah. It's, it's,
0: this, this is why I'm so conflicted with the film because like, I think it's a well-made film Yeah, Um, and I think it's like, it has, a good story, but yeah, it's 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 super uncomfortable. It's it's gross watching how they sexualize a child. Yeah. Um, you know, and it kind of reminded me a bit of um a Cure for Wellness. and um, but obviously that actress was actually, you know, what 18, 19, 20, whatever when she made that film. So yeah.
2: Adam, you're you gonna know. make me sound real bad if you just keep picking my films about the uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but uh yeah, like I remember when I first watched it and I looked it up and I was like, oh Jesus Christ, like she actually was like 13 making this movie, you know. Um and like whatever, like the actress actually seems like like I watched like the actress has an interview on the Criterion Edition of this where she talks about the role and you know how much she enjoyed the role and everything like that. So, you know, I don't think I don't I still don't think that makes it right though, even though the actress herself. Seems to have certain, you know, zero trauma from this experience. Um, I still don't think it's 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 right. Um, so, yeah, one uh, we'll we'll give a disclaimer to listeners. If you, you know, if you're uncomfortable watching a thirteen f- year old child be heavily sexualized, maybe give this one a miss. If you are still curious, it is there's a good film in here. Um. Like literally everything else about the film is good, so that's why it's a bit of a conflicting one. Conflicting yeah. One. Yeah.
1: This film was about vampires, right? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean that's that, that's kind of why not. Yeah, I
2: mean that's kind of another reason I chose this. because I was like, oh, this is a like a, a surreal vampire story, and the next one's a surreal werewolf story. So I was like, yeah, that seems to go together.
1: Oh, no, totally. Um, do you think, so one of the things I wanted to ask y'all is, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued at, and this is going to sound dumb, I just hadn't really made this connection before, maybe I haven't thought enough about vampires, but there's a really powerful ability through vampires to make it a metaphor for something, right? Like the, just the whole idea of this, like, alluring, um, usually the vampires are heavily sexualized, and mm-hmm the idea of sucking the blood, the thirst, like there's a lot of kind of sensual imagery in there or you can take it the other way and say there's a lot of like parasitic type imagery in there. Sometimes they're they're mixed together, right? Um, if you think about what was going on in the Czech, well in Czechoslovakia at that time, now Czech Republic, I guess. But so, I, I was yeah. I was researching some of these dates because I wanted to make sure I was right. So they, be, they were a Fully, you know, democratic or whatever country until 1948, they became a communist nation in 48. And then they were uh, sort of officially communist until 89. Right. But this was made in 1970, I believe. Right. So this is 22 years in. And the, most of the Czech people never really embraced the fact that they were communists. Like they didn't really it wasn't like a, a warm reception by the people. Right. And this was 22 years in. and uh, to, to that rule, and to people being hungry where they weren't hungry before, at least in the same way. And uh, there's just, you know, they were frustrated by what was going on, kind of the macro sense. And I'm curious if, you know, one of the things that I wanted to ask you all about that I could wrap my head around this movie is it's a young nation, from that sense, right, the the, the young girl could represent this young communist nation. And there's this vampiric or parasitic force that's kind of like trying to lure her in, trying to draw her in, but she's stronger than it. And she's sort of fighting it in her own way and not being tempted by it, even though it's all right there in front of her. And I wanted to see if, you know, maybe there's something in that, being able to slip a, pil- a film past the censors, set it in a classic check, sort of, you know, fairy tale. Um, but maybe that's one way that I could see making this movie you know, elevating this movie beyond just lusting after a a young girl.
0: Yeah, why not?
2: (laughs) I mean, uh, that's, you know, I didn't look into it that far, but that's all really interesting and I could definitely buy that, especially for the time period. I looked at it more as, you know, when you look at classic vampire stories, like different themes that usually come out and probably the big one is immortality. And when you're talking about like, Kids when they start going through puberty and such a thing like that, that is an actual feeling of understanding, you know, that's the age you start to really comprehend what death is. You um also have that very immortal feeling like you're not nothing's gonna happen to you, or you don't fully accept that yet. And that's you know, I think that's a big part of vampire stories. Though what you say is a bit more interesting, you know, blood red communist that all checks out for me.
0: I think what's important to remember is that. It is based on a book that was written in the 30s.
2: Oh, I did not um, know that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: It's yeah based on a book by a dude called Vettyshlav Nezval, First written in 35 and first published in 45. Uh, and it seems yeah. like it was an avant-garde experimental novel, so it does seem as though this film was probably pretty close in its representation of what the novel was. Um. But I still don't see a reason why that wouldn't still be relevant to the the, the reading of the film that you're giving it, Chris.
2: Death of the author. Yeah. Right? Yeah. What did you say, Zach? Death of the author. It doesn't matter what the original oh. intent is. It's all about what the individual reads into it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. You can you can kind of put things in, in your own context and perhaps this was a reason why Yuresh decided to make a film of this book because he thought well, wow, this kind of really represents what this country is going through. Let's make a film of this. You know, so we don't know. I don't think there's any reason to, to say that's I, not uh,
2: right.
1: Well, I was trying to find an interview and this is one of the rare times where I couldn't quickly find one on YouTube. So I'm sure there's an interview with him somewhere. Um, I couldn't quickly find one to validate it. But maybe we should spend a few minutes talking about the surrealism because, you know, there if you were to... Um, uh freeze frame a few different images in this film i think there are some absolute beautiful art there's some absolute beautiful art within the movie right like uh in in this kind of horror genre like some of the scenes with the vampires uh i I love the way that they made them they spoke about them being beautiful even though they were horribly kind of like disfigured and, and evil looking right but they but they spoke about them as beautiful and and tempting and uh so alluring and so there was this like contrast happening between on the screen and kind of what you're seeing that I thought was really interesting
0: yeah like it's a gorgeous looking film the cinematography is fantastic it's really really creative from an art design point of view uh and, you know the character designs as well you know that that pull character that kind of main vampire dude he's so creepy um yeah he's great <laughs> yeah and then you have her sort of that, that actress who was playing both her grandmother, her mother and her aunt or, or her cousin or whoever she was pretending to be. who was also a vampire. You know, mm-hmm. some of the, some of the, the scenes with her and her costume design and everything like that was fantastic. It's obviously set in a very sort of picturesque medieval sort of village, you know, cool architecture. Yeah. It, like it's, it's a stunning looking film Um And I'm kind of going to be, when we talk about the next film, I'm actually going to be kind of comparing it to this one in terms of this is how you make a a, film really good looking because I don't necessarily like how Company of Wolves looks um, in comparison to this, at least. Um, But this is kind of what I was saying earlier in terms of if you can get past the super gross stuff in this film, there's a really lovely, gorgeous, well-made film in here. Um, Yeah. If only they could do like a
1: non pedo pedo cut because nice. um, <laughs> yeah. in cannibal holocaust they made a non-animal torture uh, cut right
0: yeah i don't think it would take anything away from the film either if they did that so, No, no. Um, yeah there's 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 some really striking imagery in this film um you know there's the one that they use well, really drew me into the film was one and i think they use this as the um as the thumbnail on the criterion channel for the film okay uh where valerie is just kind of in this really sort of um uh sort of like hazy atmosphere and she's like has her hands sort of in like a praying position mm -hmm. and the lighting is just gorgeous um so yeah there's it's a really really great looking film uh, and it's really real well made like i said the costumes the art design the set design the cinematography in terms of like technical, like technically speaking it's a really really great film
2: you know I'm it's kind of funny so uh i was able to watch this on youtube by the way <laughs> didn't even have to have the criterion channel i was on there i was and actually i was surprised because i was like oh there's kind of nudity in this usually they block that
0: Oh man, I watched I first watched Halloween on YouTube split in eight parts or something stupid. (laughs) Um
1: did y'all catch in your version of subtitling, was her brother slash lover was did she call him in the subtitles, did she call him Orlick or Eaglet?
0: Eaglet in my subtitles. I can't even remember now.
1: Okay. Yeah, because he she kept it kept writing iglet but she was clearly saying something else so i went to Orklik, go look it yeah. up yeah. and his name is orlick but in the translation so i think whoever did the translation was just half paying attention because orlick in czech means eagle
0: oh really okay
1: so i think they weren't like they didn't really think of it as like a name they were treating it like a translation right um interesting. but uh the i thought that was interesting because the two kind of you know, they, they, they had this polecat who wound up, I, I didn't know this, but a polecat is another word for skunk.
0: I thought it was like a ferret. I oh, thought
1: uh, I was it was a ferret.
0: Yeah, because he turns into a ferret at some point.
1: Yeah, I know. I was a bit confused by that. But like, if you look it up, like I was I didn't know what a polecat was. So I was looking it up and it's like, it's another word for, for skunk a lot, but maybe you could, anyways, you could ferret. I don't know if this still works, but you have like the ferret then or the skunk, whatever. And then you have the eagle, um, I don't know if that plays into anything, but I figure that that has to play into something, some kind of. I mean, thing.
2: eagles eat anything. So I assume they'll eat a polecat or whatever that's supposed to be. Yeah.
1: To yeah I mean, maybe something like that.
0: Yeah, this polecat looks, I'm looking at polecats. They look like ferrets. If I saw one of these, I'd be like, oh, there's a ferret.
2: So it could be like, you know, how Australians and Americans see possums incredibly different.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's true. Like that, I don't know what your skunks look like. That doesn't look like a skunk to me, it looks like a ferret. Uh,
2: um, you probably know our skunks from like Pepe Le Pew, yeah, yeah.
0: So, um, that doesn't look yeah. like Pepe Le Pew to me, um, but no.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's more of a ferret. I don't know, but yeah, it's an eagle, it's still food, I guess. Um, it's interesting that they made his character so weak though, because I don't think he was like she, she really trusted him and kind of relied on him, but. I don't think he was a strong character.
0: So. I don't even I, I still don't really get what, what the point of a lot of these characters are.
1: Yeah. I was trying to search if there's like if Eagle was, you know, like a bird of, of Czechoslovakia or something, but um nothing was super obvious coming up. So we'll have to leave it into the not quite sure if any, if have any listeners from Czech and they know the history.
0: Yeah, like this was one of the things that this is why I'd originally said I wasn't going to rewatch the films. I didn't think I was going to get anything more out of it, and that's kind of what I meant. Because there's there's a lot of the stuff in the film that's just kind of impenetrable. I don't know if it's purposely just like random, or if there is like a very sort of heavily sort of um veiled meaning behind you know certain things. But um yeah, I don't think I don't think you watch this film for its plot. That's probably the best way to put it. Uh, I don't think you watch it for its plot or for its uh, for its character development because <laughs> um, a lot of characters just seem to kind of behave and change motives at random. Um, yeah. Kind of mix up who's even who. Um, so yeah, it's, like, it's, it's definitely surreal in that respect that it doesn't follow typical narrative and character sort of norms. Everyone kind of seems to seems to behave quite randomly. Um, I'm, not, I'm not too sure who's even like the ultimate villain or what people's ulterior motives are or anything like
1: that, you know? They, they pointed to, um, there was an intro on the channel where they, they said that audiences were frustrated. There was a series of films coming out in the 60s and 70s and this was one of them where they were popular but people were frustrated because they didn't adhere to traditional narrative structure. Really? and um so they didn't at least in the intro they didn't brush about the the minor um being in the movie maybe i don't know it's just uncomfortable to talk about if you're celebrating yeah movie, but...
0: it, yeah it just kind of seems like everyone just kind, of, just kind of brushes it under the table because it's like a good film yeah uh, even though like a lot of like there's a good chunk like even away from the child stuff like there's a good chunk of this film which is essentially just softcore porn mm. um <laughs> you know um But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's just, I think it's really hard to sum up feelings on Valerie and Our Week of Wonders because it's a really great film in here just surrounded by other weird stuff that kind of makes it hard to like really love it. I don't think I'll be watching it a third time. I think I can, I can convincingly tell myself I won't be watching it a third
1: time. (laughs) Two is enough. I'm just curious now because we saw Daisies uh, recently, right? Which was also from the Czech New Wave and that was, yeah
0: I, yeah, I think, yeah, I was watching the film club. I didn't watch it with the film club, but I've
1: seen it myself outside of right. that. I, I won't go too much into it, but that was just, that was 66. So it does seem like there was a lot of exploration and kind of, you know, maybe the French New Wave was doing it for sure, playing with narrative structure and kind of expectations around genre. seems like this was kind of taken to a little bit of a next level in some of the Czech New Wave stuff where they really just kind of, um, we're experimenting with, with what you could do inside 90 minutes.
0: Yeah. I think, I think Daisy's is way above this in terms of its surrealism. I don't, I don't, I don't understand a single thing that happens in Daisy's. <laughs> yeah, it's true. No clue at all. Could not tell you what the film's
1: about. <laughs> Two girls being mischievous. So that's it. Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, I liked it, but I think it's, it's easy to, uh, it's it's an easy critique of the film for sure. It's very hard to follow.
0: I think it makes it easy when these kind of films are sh- on the shorter side. <laughs> I don't think I could sit through for like two and a half hours. Like what was that? What was that film, The Forbidden Room?
2: Oh. That um, movie's actually not that long, is it? It just feels like eight I hours. I thought it was I
0: thought it was like two and a half hours long.
2: I'm gonna check, because I for some reason I was like, isn't that like a 90 minute movie? If it is, it's the longest 90 minute movie ever.
0: No. it was ten. How long? Two hours, ten minutes. Okay, so it was
2: longer than I thought it was.
0: That's way too long for what that is like. <laughs> so I do appreciate Valerie the Week of Wonders and Daisies and stuff for being around 90 minutes song or you know, whatever.
2: Uh, yeah, no, I, I try to pick short movies when it's gonna get a little weird. So I, I want I wouldn't make you do uh Cure for Wellness again.
0: <laughs> that was that was way too long for what it was as
1: well. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't have too much else to say. I I honestly am glad to have seen it once um, as a reference point in history, more about the Chuck New Wave. Um, I think I'm good a second time, but happy to have seen it once. All right. Well, speaking of parasitic forces that drain our lifeblood, it's time for Collection Corner. Uh, And uh, this is a hobby that uh, ends up being an expensive one, but a fun one. So I think I mentioned this a little bit on the last one, but I I found uh, the the necessary kind of DVDs and, and Blu-rays that I needed to complete uh, the Kislovsky uh, films and shorts. So I've started going through those because the last one came in from the uh, UK. It was a, it's crazy because if you think about like going back to his early days when he was a student and then like, literally some short documentaries that he made just about like factory workers and stuff. I mean, it was interesting, but, you know, the Polish documentary film studio is this org that went together and like beautifully restored these for DVD. So there's this really nice release. They put English subtitles on it for an international um, uh, release. So it's all region. And if you're interested in, you know, it's hard to find now a little bit. That's the only problem. But it's out there and uh, it's, it's cool to go back and, and watch this guy. You know, um, just really quick, I know this is Collection Corner, but, you know, he, he found a writer, right? Another Kristoff. Um, I think Pisevich, I believe is his name. And he was the one that helped him write the Decalogue and helped him write the Three Colors Trilogy and sort of with him on his best projects. Going back and seeing the documentaries, and I know it's a little hard to judge based on docs, but seeing the short films he made and then the documentaries he made, I think he actually needed a writer. Like, everybody talks about how how amazing his films are from a script perspective, but uh, I I think he's more of a technician and he has these good ideas and he's is kind of a philosopher almost, but I think he needs a writer to kind of hone him in because it's a little bit, some of the ideas in these early shorts are are, a little bit too cliche, like, and, and again, he was 20, so I'm not trying to be too hard on him, but it's just interesting to watch, you know, every director kind of has different skills, right? And even from early on, the, the framing and the shots and the cinematography was beautiful, um, very, very stunning. And, and, and you could tell he was, these films weren't in good hands. Um, but I, I think he, and I think he's benefited by a good writer. So um, that's been interesting to kind of explore a little bit. Uh, in terms of collections, I got in and saw the first film from Visual Vengeance. And I know that, you know, he was, um, I'll give a little bit of a tease. It's it's one of the future interviews that's coming up. Um, He was an awesome interview. This guy, Matt, from Visual Vengeance. Um, He's been in the New York scene. He has a job working in Forbidden Planet. So if you're in the New York area and you're on the weekends, go into Forbidden Planet. And he's like running that that shop there on the weekends. Uh, And then he has all the stuff that he's doing on the side. But he's super plugged into the New York horror scene and the regional horror scene overall. Uh, awesome interview coming up. And uh, I saw this first one, that one of the first ones that, that they put out, which is called L.A. at AIDS Jabber. <laughs> and it's exactly what it sounds like. It's this regional film from L.A. Uh, from the 90s about a guy that gets overwhelmed by having AIDS and goes jabbing people with his needle full of his AIDS. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> It's a good piece of shot-on-video uh, uh, film. So I can't imagine uh, it's good. <laughs> it's not, you know, we're talking about you know story versus technical. I mean, you know, it's it's shot on video. It's it's low budget, but uh, it's, it's kind of an interesting take on it, and some some decent uh, decent laughs well. But um, yeah. So, anyways, there's there's more random stuff. I I found an old uh, out-of-print vinegar syndrome slip for under 30 bucks on eBay. So I grabbed that, that came in. Um, So I've been doing a little bit of hunting and pecking, but the big thing is uh, the um, arrow announced Shaw brothers too. So I'm just waiting on when I'm going to buy that. And, uh, and then waiting for my indicator orders to come in.
2: I think I heard, I know we, ta- I think we talked about this maybe last time uh, that two was going to be the last one, but I seemed like I've heard that three and four, they're going to do a three and four possibly.
1: So I, mean, I-, I- it's certainly possible that the first one just sold so well that they're, they're going to keep doing it, right?
2: I mean, there's plenty on there when I look at their wiki page, so I'm sure they can keep going for a little while.
1: You mean under, like, Shaw Brothers?
2: Yeah, under under that, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forget the number, but I think it it's, like, in the hundreds or maybe thousands, because, you know, they, there was one year where they weren't even really fully ramped up yet. And they still put out fifty movies. So when they were in their prime, they were they were making a lot of movies. Um, it's probably like one of those situations where they could just they
0: could put out a box set of fifteen films that are just shit, but people will still buy them. Shaw Brothers, yeah,
1: right. People will be like awful movies, but people will buy them, no problem. But I mean, honestly, like if you have boxers on in right, and then I forget there was another really good one in there, or kind of famous one in there. If, if you have two or three movies that are amazing and people spend 120 bucks on it or whatever it is, and you have this like three amazing movies in there, you almost kind of forget about the rest and you're like, yeah, it was okay. But like, wow, I got to see this in high def. You know, you kind of, yeah. Yeah. That's how people talk about it. So I think they're smart in the way they're compiling these. There's a bunch of stuff that they might not be able to put out otherwise, but um, pick
0: like two or three really highly regarded ones and throw on an extra seven or eight that aren't, yeah
2: so that's then. pretty much what uh like columbia classics i've been collecting those since they came out the third volume's coming out and this one's actually like kind of disappointing compared to the first two like the first one the big seller was lawrence of arabia and the second one was taxi driver and it doesn't really have that one in this one like so i'm curious the- how long they'll keep those going
0: What my films are in the third one
2: Oh, let me just Google it, because I'm going to forget them. Um, I mean, they're not bad. I know Annie is one of them, which was a weird choice, but...
1: Know. This is... They're Columbia Classics, 30. the whole thing is that they're bringing these to 4K, right?
2: Yeah, exclusively to 4K. So, a lot of these... Now, Lawrence of Arabia has gotten its own, and so has Dr. Strangelove has gotten
1: his own. Are they mixing up the colors on the releases, at least?
2: Yeah, the first one was black, the second one was red, and this one's blue. So uh, what's included is It Happened One Night, From Here to Eternity, To Sir With Love, The Last Picture Show, Annie, and As Good As It Gets.
0: I think It Happened One Night is probably the big selling point there. It's like a certified. Tenet yeah, tenet. I mean, it's, it's not awesome. a bad
2: pick. I just like compared to like Lawrence of Arabian Taxi Driver, I guess for me, it's just like, yeah, that's yeah. Kind of a little disappointing.
0: That Happened One Night It's awesome. It's a really funny film. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's, it's good. It's really funny.
2: I saw it on, like, Turner Classic Movies maybe when I was a kid years ago. I think that's probably where I saw it at. So I don't remember much.
1: All of those all of those are, like, pretty classic films, right? Like, The Last Picture Show is a pretty classic film. To Sir with love, you know, you can talk about Sydney Poitier kind of breaking a lot of um, boundaries or breaking a lot of obstacles to get through, to get that made. But then there's As Good As It Gets. I mean, it's all right. <laughs> kind of the jerry Maguire
2: of this set that was kind of what people talked about with the first set oh, like, oh yeah jerry Maguire. Was okay had jerry
1: Maguire. yeah it's all right the movie's okay it's fine. yeah it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> but this is the one where they're just trying to throw it on there no one's going to go buy it as good as it gets 4k if it's a solo release
2: yeah yeah i mean the like the first set people bought that paid a hundred dollars for that just to get Lawrence of Arabia on 4k because they said that they weren't going to put these exclusively out. This was the way they were going to be released which of course has had its own controversy but they're nice sets. so I mean I'll buy them because they look nice and they do really good jobs on the whole thing but um, and they did a bunch of shorts on the second one which I'm hoping the third one will do too. Like they put like never before like never re-release shorts out again and stuff like that.
1: I mean the discs certainly have the space for it. Start getting into 4K, it's a lot of space. On what about y'all? What have y'all been buying?
0: Um, I have a pre order in from Eureka. I'm gonna talk about a couple of Eureka releases that are that are coming. Uh, the one I pre ordered is The Most Dangerous Game uh, from oh, cool. 1932. Um, Irving Pichel and Ernest Beam show It sack. Uh, it's not Joel McRae, Faye Ray. I think everyone kind of knows the story, it's been. Sort of parody to death now, um. I think The Simpsons did a version, American Dad definitely did a version, but yeah, it's that one shipwrecked on an island. The guy is on the island, likes to hunt people. It's you know pretty pretty standard stuff. Uh, what I thought was interesting about the film is that it was shot on the same set as Hong as King Kong, um. But it was just shot at night, so they shot King Kong during the day, and they shot this film on that set at night. But I also found it funny. That Faye Ray is in boat, so she must have been like super tired because you know she'd be filming King Kong during the day, and then it's like, Hey, Faye, we're gonna go shoot this film now. You have like an hour lunch break, and then come shoot this. So, uh, she must have been exhausted. Um, but yeah, it looks like it's a 1080p 2K restored Blu ray. Has a nice, you know, I'm a sucker for a nice slipcover. I, I said this to Neve during the week, you know, this is how she was like. You know how why do you buy these films that like you know you have never heard of and never seen before? And it's like, oh, but it has a nice slipcover. And if I don't get the slipcover version, then I won't buy the normal version because it won't be as nice. So yeah, I you know th- everyone, it's 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 we all know that we're we're, we're chumps for doing it, but yeah, I've pre ordered that. I think it's coming out at the end of October. And um, there's another cool release that they're doing, um, so that's part of their masters of cinema collection, which is what they're most known for, but they have been putting stuff out as just Eureka classics. Um, I don't really know what the actual difference is if I'm completely honest with you. I don't know why they don't just put these under the same banner um, but they've been putting out a few uh, Boris Karloff kind of mini collections. They have okay. one coming out in October as well called Karloff in Maniacal Mayhem which is a collection of three films Um, that, spoiler, they all star Boris Karloff um, mm-hmm. or you know, feature him in some kind of role. Uh, so there's three films in this, um, which is The Invisible Ray, which also co-stars Bela Lugosi. Uh, there's another one called Black Friday, which, again, also includes Bela Lugosi. Uh, but then the one I'm most interested in is called A Strange Door. Um, and the reason I'm really interested in that one is because um, Karloff kind of plays not the villain in this. Um, the villain is played by Charles Lawton, um, nice so uh, i th- i haven't pre-ordered this one yet but i think i probably am going to pre-order it or pick it up when it comes out something like that and um, yeah eureka seems to be putting out a few different Karloff collections i think this is the third boris Karloff collection that they've done and then they've also had a Bella Lugosi collection and a lot of those films had Karloff in them as well so they seem to have gotten the rights to a lot of his back catalog which is cool uh, especially for these probably lesser scene films uh, they're all in 2k scans so like pretty pretty decent um pretty decent condition and then there's also just one more that I will just bring up as well because it does seem as though for a while Eureka stopped doing a lot of silent films they were pretty they were really well known for their silent films when they first started um they put out a lot of great silent films. Um, and they, they kind of stopped for a while but it seems they're kind of back on that train they're also doing a release of uh, Lon Chaney's Hunchback of Notre Dame um, awesome. from 1923 um, that one's also out in October so October's a pretty cool month uh, for Eureka coming up if you're, if you're a Eureka fan already or if you're maybe thinking about dipping your toes in Eureka obviously for those listening in the US they, they are Region B so you do have to have a Region B player or a Region Free player but they do worldwide free shipping. So if you're looking for a reason to maybe consider dipping your toes in Eureka, you don't need to worry about high shipping costs because it's free and their their prices are all pretty good anyway. So um, those are a couple of things that look interesting that's coming up from them.
1: If you wanted to do a a Black Weekend themed, uh, you could do Black Friday with Karloff and Lugosi. Then there's a directed video movie that came out. I just typed, I just looked it up. Called Black Saturday, about <laughs> about a guy named Gary Guns, who's the most notorious street hustler that New Orleans has ever seen. He's back on the street seeking vengeance, and then you could end with Baba's Black Sunday, right?
0: Oh yeah, Black Sunday, Mario Baba, Black Weekend.
2: <laughs> I'm guessing there's no Black Monday.
1: Um, I think that's what happens after you drink heavily after doing a. Um, uh, let's see, there's a comedy series um, in 2019 called Black Monday, so you'd have, to, you'd have to start getting into TV at that point. No way, yeah, it's not working. No go, no go. No TV. It.
0: <laughs> what do yeah. you, Zach? Have you picked a bathing or? A um,
2: so, uh, yeah, so uh, I'll kind of give a little background. So, recently I was re watching a movie called Tragedy Girls. Uh, I have this like and it, it was from the the old copy I had was from Gunpowder and Sky. Uh, but the thing was, this was like when they first started. So it was like a made on demand. They didn't even press it. It's in like one of the worst like oh, okay. things I have ever seen. It just looks bad. And I was like, oh, well, they put out a new release. So I was like, well, I've never got into Gunpowder and Sky like since they've become a partner. So I was like, so I talked to Chris here. I was like, Chris, how's Gunpowder and sky. And he's like, well, I'm about to sell all mine. So if you want them, I'll sell them to you. And I was like, okay. (laughs) So now I have picked up, uh, I got all but what? Two of them, I think. uh, uh, Prospect, Awaken, Summer of 84, Her Smell, Tragedy Girls, and The Little Hours. So I'm about as close to complete, but I made a conscious decision that I'm not going to go complete with them because I just can't do that. (laughs) Like that sounds expensive but they're great releases um i've not gotten too far into them yet but uh really like their packaging a lot like they put a lot of work into it uh, i wish they did everything like they would do with prospect and summer of 84
1: because those two look great they really do so sl- vinegar syndrome i don't know if they created this package design but you know the hard box the single disc hard box with the two little triangles cut out right where you like slip the disc out um that seems to be them and their partner labels are the only ones that are kind of putting that out so i wonder if they have either you know sometimes these labels actually create package designs i wonder if that's something they created
2: yeah i was curious about that too and i mean either way it's it was a good thing for them because like i said the copy of gunpowder and sky i have for tragedy girls i can't even sell at my secondhand store because they assume it's a bootleg
1: oh yeah like
2: that is the way it, i think i have it right you oh, that's have it here that's crazy I don't have it right here in front of me but yeah it does i mean it looks like it was printed off on like a home printer um and wow. the back is purple so you're just like this and i ordered it from amazon i remember i was like did they send me a bootleg when i got it i was like well it works So that's all that really matters but
1: just
2: but yeah the, their new edition looks great i love the way it looks so thank you chris for selling me those he also sent me "Freaking hooker to uh put a cherry on top which i will be watching soon hopefully
1: Yeah, it's amazing. That's a good one.
2: All right, and welcome back. Uh, Now we're going to go on to the second movie I picked, uh, The Company of Wolves, which is directed by Englishman Neil Jordan. Um, (laughs) A uh, teenage girl in a country manor falls asleep (laughs) while reading a magazine and has a disturbing dream involving wolves prowling in the woods in her bedroom window. Um, And just so everyone's aware, I know he's not English. I just wanted to annoy Adam. Uh, You should know Neil Jordan uh funny enough, he's kind of famous for his vampire stories. He did two. Uh Interview with a vampire and "Byzantium." I think is how you say the second one. Yeah. Yeah. So he's more familiar with vampires, but this is his werewolf story. So what did you think? Uh we'll start with you, Chris. I'm curious.
1: Oh, you know what? We forgot to do this. Let me real quick. Um so which it's probably worth mentioning that Valerie and her week of wonders was the 315th best horror film of all time and the 2,711th best film of all time. So we don't have to go back and talk about that, but we kind of forgot to mention that. Mm-hmm. Um, this one I was surprised to find out is the 247th best horror film of all time and is the 3,539th best film of all time. Um, I was more surprised to find it so high on the horror list, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah, same, to be honest. Uh, now, you know, they, it's two different people, right? The guy, Bill, who does They Shoot Pictures and his 13,000 top 100 list that he puts together. There's a separate person who coincidentally also lives in Australia who is inspired by Bill and did the same project for horror. So they have every kind of like top 100 list you can find and they compile this list. So they're doing the same thing um that's where that list comes from it's called they shoot zombies don't they and yeah this one's ranked really high um I I mean I I actually don't know what to say about this it's fine like if it wasn't so bloody it would be like a kid's story um it it's bloody and and in parts still not I wouldn't say like you know I probably wouldn't show my five-year-old this but I would probably show my eight-year-old this unless I'm missing something like it's not that it's still kind of a kid's story. I think it's, it's fine. I was telling my, my wife it's like kind of between goosebumps and maybe like um, uh, something a little more bloody, you know Uh, but yeah, it's okay. It's fine. It's good. I mean, it's, it's a little red riding hood story, right. That's sort of told in uh, we can get into this, actually speaking of Wosia Chas from earlier, it's told in the same story as Saragossa Manuscript, the way that the is told and kind of like packaged within each other. And then it opens up back into like the different levels of storytelling. That's something that he did um, with Saragossa Manuscript. So, And Neil Jordan actually referenced that as an as a, um, uh, influence on, on him for the way the story was told. So that was interesting. Uh, yeah, it's cool, I guess. What do y'all think? So I wanted to note real quick,
2: um... Just to make it clear, I don't actually know if we've talked about like when it comes to picking films that they necessarily have to be movies we like. Um, I think this movie is also just sort of okay. Like the reason I picked it is after I watched Valerie and I got this recommended afterwards and I watched it, I was like, these go together really well, like for different reasons. But I was like, I almost feel like if I pick this one, I kind of have to pick the other because they feel like they go together so well, but for really different reasons. I think Valerie is a whole lot better made. Um, Like, I don't think this movie looks bad either. I think it looks fine. It just looks very setty, like yeah, set heavy, which is fine. I like set heavy stuff sometimes. I like my old horror movies and stuff. So I kind of appreciate that. But I did want to note that, like, for, you know, in, in case it was assumed that I'm in love with this movie or anything, I'm not, I thought it was okay. But I thought it went, it went good as a double feature.
0: But well, it makes a, sense why it would because when I was doing my research on Valerie's influence it was referenced that the person who wrote the script for this Angela Carter wrote her story that the film was based on after she had seen Valerie.
2: And oh, that's fun. I didn't so, know that. Yeah, that's awesome. It
0: makes sense why you would make the connection there um, even even without knowing it um, there, there's a, there is a, a non-superficial connection between the two that the writer was literally uh, that influenced directly by Valeina week of wonders and I'm also in the it's fine camp uh, I hate how the story is told I think it's really it's, really it's not
2: beneficial to it I think that's the hardest part it's almost an anthology but it's not quite
0: I feel like they just didn't commit to either it's like they didn't have yeah. enough story for a main story and none of the little stories were good enough to also be just separate anthologies so they were just I, I just yeah I just feel like the film is a mess and I didn't end up caring about any of the characters because none of them were ever around long enough for me to actually care about them. There is one part in this film that is a 10 out of 10 awesome moment, and that is when, uh, let me just remember his name.
1: Give me a second. Are you talking about the dad? No. Uh,
0: Terrence Stamp? Terrence Stamp. When Terrence Stamp shows up, in like a white, what is it, like uh, a Chevy or something, or a Lincoln or something or some shit. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a 10 out of 10 moment for this film. Uh, the rest of the film is a solid six out of ten. When Terrence Stamp shows up for two minutes in a in a white car in a medieval fantasy setting, then that was like, yeah, that's awesome. Um, I love that part. Uh, but everything else is a pretty solid, like six out of ten. Um, yeah, I just I just found the whole film very clunky, very messy. I don't think the story within a story within a story technically because she's having a dream of a story and then there's separate little uh-huh. stories that sort of act as like aesop's tales or aesop's fables kind of in their own little way but i don't i don't think any of it really benefits anything it's just kind of all there just for the sake of trying to get the main point across which is puberty is scary um you know <laughs> i
2: don't yeah, really uh, Adam, i don't really when we're talking about Valerie, that you didn't really like the look of this film because yeah. I was in the same boat because I don't think it's badly made. Like, I think it's got a style to it. It just doesn't work for me all the way. Like, and I don't know why. I can't really explain why well, I had trouble with it.
0: The style of set, I think, works a lot better in black and white than it does in color. I think if this mm-hmm. was like in black and white, like a universal, like an old like universal horror film, then I would probably have liked it a lot more. I just don't think it works as well in color. Um, I don't know, it just everything just seems so hollow and artificial when it's in these weird kind of colors. It kind of all it kind of like reminded me of um of like labyrinth or yeah, there is never some... ending never ending story, you know, that kind of style of sets. I was gonna and talk like,
1: about labyrinth
2: too, the legend.
0: I haven't seen the legend.
2: Oh, okay. The Tom Cruise one I'm assuming. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah okay, okay, yeah. Haven't seen that. But uh, yeah, labyrinth and never ending story vibes. What I got from some of these sets. And yeah, I don't, I don't, I just don't really care for that style. I know a lot of people really like it, but um it it doesn't work for me. The story didn't work for me. Um, I thought the main actress was okay. I thought she was fine. Um Angela Lansbury is always kind of cool. To see Angela Lansbury around. Um, but the poster's a yeah. 10 out
2: of 10. That poster's awesome.
0: Yeah, it's a cool poster. It's like a, I don't know. It's kind of like a something you'd see in a games shop for like a mm-hmm. an old board game, or you know, like a a Dungeons and Dragons book or something. Um, yeah. Now, the if a Wolf
2: Transformation had done that, it would have been a better film.
0: Okay, this is actually something I do like about the film. I actually really like the practical effects. Yeah. Um, it's not. It's not quite you know American Werewolf in London, but what else? I think. Yeah. I thought I thought it was cool. I really did like the the transformation that happened where he starts peeling his skin off when Stephen Ray starts like peeling his face off and stuff. Yeah. I thought that was I thought that was really cool. That was really well done. And like I, I did think this was a kid's film. At first I didn't read anything about the film really. I did this, I assumed this was like a kid's film, and I was like, okay, yeah, that's not a kids' film. <laughs> uh, this would scare the shit out of me, you know, if I had watched this as a child. Well, you yeah, know,
2: it's kind of funny. Like, I can imagine if this was made now, it would be mandated to be a PG-13 film. Like, oh yeah, they're like, yeah, you need to cut that down. We're selling this as PG-13. Yeah, for
1: that's sure. probably the right, the right call for this. You know, there's um, have have either of y'all seen the Saragossa Manuscript? I have not. So, uh, Adam, I assume no with your silence too. Um, I, I did. I honestly didn't hear the question. Have you Have you seen the Saragossa Manuscript? No, I haven't. So it's, Neil Jordan claims that as a, as a a, a influence for this, right? And it's a three hour movie. And what it does is it's, it, it starts to, you you follow this guy on a journey. He uncovers a book in that book. There's a story. Then as you're going along and there's somebody that's telling a story in that, and then there, there's somebody who's telling a story, but what So it's that nesting doll style, the Michoyska doll style of, of of storytelling. Right. But what, what Saragossa gets right that I think this film gets wrong is as it pulls, so, so you get all the way down into I think it might even be five levels of storytelling in, the, in Saragossa, but as it unpacks the, the layers, it never goes back into them. And I think that's really important because as you start to come out of these different stories in Saragossa, you have a chance to fully, like each one is fully realized, right? And so it works. But with this one, it was awkward because the opening scene totally wasn't needed. Like it did, this didn't need to be a dream of, of that girl in the bed uh, in modern times. Like there was no real, I don't think any real point to that other than to set that this was like anything could happen. It's a dream, I guess. But then the second level where she's dreaming, that's where they start trying to get clever and having these like different stories that are kind of coming out of her dreaming, right? But that just feels like kind of cheap storytelling, I think a little bit. It just, uh, like, like y'all were saying, it's like an anthology film, but it's like a, a shortcut to trying to get to an anthology film. So I don't think it earns that third and fourth level of storytelling when it gets there because it's like, there's, no, there's not a lot of consistency between the, the or there's not, there's not reasons why it's happening. It's just sort of like thrown together. So that was, my, that was the only kind of my biggest issue with it, I guess, the, the, the werewolf part of it was cool. The practical effects were cool. There's certainly much worse horror films that I've subjected myself to. Um, <laughs> which is why I didn't mind it too much. Uh, there was the semblance of a story there for me. I don't know I don't know how this is rated as 247th best unless some people are just big Neil Jordan fans because of Interview with the Vampire. But
2: you know, I didn't want to go to your thing what you're talking about like going in levels. I think I haven't seen that movie but i assume when you go down in levels you're finding parallels like between each one like the further you down, so like if you have the first one where you're in i guess modern day you know having some kind of horror story of her just as a hypothetical like being chased or someone nefarious trying to like bring their way into the house of something and then you keep making parallels to like little red riding hood and how the wolf pretends to be the grandmother. And, you know, it's like different ways. It's the same story, but it's telling it in different ways and kind of highlighting what those stories are actually trying to tell. Um, I think that's more effective, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, uh, Yeah, I mean, you know, a bloody retelling of Little Red Riding Hood. It's been made now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, like... I can kind of get where they went with having the sub stories that they have that there's that, there's the thing that the that the granny character tells the main character. It's like some advice, something that I can't remember at all, but there was one part about not trusting someone whose eyebrows meet. Yeah, And, you know, I can understand that they were maybe trying to tell, like, like I was saying earlier about fables. So I think there were like three or four different parts of the thing that the grandmother character told, or not to do, don't do this, don't do that, don't trust that yeah. guy. His eyebrows eat in the middle or eyebrows meet in the middle, I should say. Um so I had assumed that perhaps there was going to be like three sub-stories, one of which is a fable as to why you shouldn't do each thing, why you shouldn't do this, why you shouldn't do that, why you shouldn't do that. But none of them really had that consistency. Like I feel like some of them like, just didn't really have a point at all. Um, like you know, the one with Terrence Stamp, for example, as awesome as it is that he that, that Terrence Stamp gets to play the devil and rolls up in a Rolls Royce in medieval times. That's awesome. But like it had no point. Like his eyebrows didn't meet in the middle. You know.
1: <laughs> the, or I the just... wounded the wounded she wolf was like, it's okay, you know, like because she's like yeah. telling the story to her wolf and it's you know, okay.
0: Yeah, and then there was the one with um oh uh, Cripes. The one with the with the pregnant peasant going to yeah. the wedding for all the aristocrats, like oh, and with a terrible laugh. <laughs> yeah, you know, like I just don't I just don't get why they existed. Um, and I think like I don't mind a story within a story or whatever, so long as it has a point to the wider narrative. Yeah, and yeah, I feel yeah. like some of these didn't. This is why I kind of come back to my earlier point, how I feel the, the film is just a mess. Cause like just some of the stuff was just utterly unnecessary. It was just like, I could have walked away for one of those segments, came back and it wouldn't have changed how the film you know, affected yeah. me. It wouldn't have made any difference to the main narrative at all. Um, like if they were going to go down this route, they should have taken that phrase that the grandmother said and then just made a story within it, a fable kind of story within it, a story for each of the three or four things, whatever she says to do. I'm gonna try and look it up here beside me so I can get That's it.
1: That's it. They live by film is rewriting the story. We're gonna re-edit it into the <laughs> yeah. this is this is
0: this is where we've got is they live by film cut. Um this is this is where this podcast is going we're gonna tell successful filmmakers how they should have made their film. Um <laughs> I have it here I have it here never stray from the path never eat a windfall apple and never trust a man whose eyebrows meet in the middle. So like I don't remember any of the sub-stories having anything to do with an apple. Um, okay, straight from the path, fair enough. She does that sort of towards the end of the film, and that's where she meets the werewolf guy whose eyebrows meet in the middle.
1: Yeah. Only like, it ate an apple.
0: But it, there's like an hour of content before the film that just has nothing to do with anything. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like the, this film has just so much stuff in it that is just just makes no sense for the plot it's just unnecessary i just don't know why i just feel like they were just trying to fill screen time you know it
2: feels like they had a lot of cool ideas and they were like let's just put them in there and see what happens yeah
0: that's what it seems like (laughs) to me as well
2: you know how
1: the exorcist uh is is quite an amazing movie right but for the first 10 minutes they're in like northern iraq and like you're like well is this really needed (laughs) i wonder you know they're trying to set the backstory and stuff but i wonder if uh if they were trying to set the backstory, as like her relationship with the grandma and why then, then it has that emotional payoff at the end right that's like a bigger payoff at the end but yeah it didn't quite get there i mean I, yeah, I i don't know that that's the only thing i can think of
0: yeah i personally didn't give a shit when granny died either
1: well the it movie it, that's the funny thing He oh, like, yeah. he swiped her head and it fell off and broke like a porcelain jar but like it wasn't a big emotional moment.
0: Yeah, what was the point?
1: <laughs> yeah, like it didn't really dwell on it. It's just like, he
0: didn't even he didn't even try and dress up like Granny.
1: Mm-hmm. No, he just said the line. Yeah. But, I don't uh, know.
0: Yeah. I don't know about this film.
1: Yeah. Talking down from a six to a five now.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I am talking it down to a six from a six to a five, and like, what I got to that maybe I was being generous with the six. Um,
1: <laughs> It's got cool practical effects.
0: It does. It does have cool practical effects. It absolutely does. Um, I cannot take that away from the film. And the practical effects are cool.
2: Maybe vampires were just... Maybe this is how Neil Jordan figured out vampire from one's thing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> fuck, fuck these werewolves, man. It's hard, hard to tell what a werewolf story. What, uh, what's the universal one? The Wolf Wolfman? No, what's it called?
2: Yeah, the Wolfman, yeah. yeah,
1: wolfman. yeah. That's a good one. On Cheney Junior. That was a good one. Oh,
2: I figured he was well. talking about the Anthony Hopkins one. Benicio del Toro. No, the modern one that's
1: the best is probably Teen Wolf, right? I mean, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, sure. Because he's certainly wolf, cop. Be, wolf Cop.
0: Wolf <laughs> Yeah. And I've never actually been a. I'm just realizing I've never actually been a big werewolf
2: person. Yeah. Of, like, I, just, I mean, I there's know. definitely ones I think are fan like. Or great, but I've always been more into vampires than werewolves.
0: Yeah, Dog Soldiers is fun. Seen Dog oh, I Soldiers? love Dog Soldiers. That's a fun movie.
2: That's another Neil guy, right? What's what's his name?
0: Yeah, it's that guy who made the Descent, isn't it? Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, and he did like. Now i got to look it up. It's gonna yeah, happen. i look at it too.
1: But that just got a really nice release from somebody from Second Sight, maybe? Second Sight just did Second one. And, uh, and
2: then I think. Uh, Shout's going to be doing a 4K as well. Neil Marshall, Neil Marshall, Neil Marshall—that's him. Yeah, he's done quite a few things. Yeah, he did the new Hellboy. Oh, oh well. Yeah.
0: Sorry, sorry about that, Neil. <laughs> sorry. sorry to hear.
2: <laughs> but he had the uh, Descendant Dog Soldiers, so he's good. Yeah. He did,
1: he did good. He did fine. So watch Dog Soldiers, watch Teen Wolf. This one's probably a pass.
0: Watch the Wolfman, the original version. There you go. Oh. American yeah, sorry I had to subject novel.
2: you guys to this, but I was like, it just makes too much sense. I'll try to do something more fun.
0: No, no, no. Don't apologize at all. It was it was literally a, you couldn't have found a more perfect pairing of films. Um they both they both even have that super on the nose puberty imagery of the blood falling on the white flower.
2: You know, <laughs> they do. I forgot to note that. Yeah, they both do that.
0: As if, like, as if we didn't need to know further that this was about <laughs> puberty, you know, about you know, female puberty. What what better way to do that? Than have a white flower with some blood fall on it.
2: Criterion has also loved that image. I think it's on the cover of their release. It is right. Yeah, yeah it is on the cover of the yeah. release. Uh, I'm
0: pretty sure it's from the original poster or one of the original posters, but it's definitely the Criterion cover. There's yeah. a flower of blood on it. So, um, yeah, if you would like to be hit over the head with your symbolism, um, <laughs> it's the these are the films to, to go for you have a letterbox
1: list that's called like uh images <laughs> and it just has films with like strong metaphors that are uh too it obvious. actually it, it really annoys me when when
0: metaphors like right, when filmmakers feel the need to hit you in the face with their message i i, I had this point which when we watched okay uh and you know about war is bad and, okay um, you know <laughs> the way it just hits you with the face yeah. with that with that message like, I, I, you can tell me war is bad without telling me every two minutes that war is bad. Um, so,
2: you know, I've been listening to um, the Insider podcast for, like, Breaking Bad and uh, Better Call Saul, because that just finished. Um, and the guy who created that Vince Gilligan, who started in X-Files, and now he's super successful. But he was talking about that, like, when he first started writing, you know, he really, really wanted to go through and, like, point out themes and point out this, and then He somebody told him like, "Look, it's not your job. Don't worry about it. Just tell a good story, and people will figure out whatever they want." And it's true. He's like, people come up with stuff. He's like, I never intended, but that's cool. He's like, you don't ever have to point out what something is; they'll figure it out, or they'll make it up. Yeah,
0: yeah. Everyone should just take a leaf out of David Lynch's book and refuse to elaborate. (laughs)
1: Exactly. No.
0: Cool. So that was our uh, riveting discussion on a company of wolves. Uh, Before we close off, we're going to do any other business as we always do, Just before we do so just to let you know what's coming up in the next sort of discussion episode, uh, it's my turn to pick the movies. So I've decided to pick two films um, that, but by the same filmmaker, they're very sort of similar stylistically. Um, They're both, two of my favorite films are both in my sort of top 100 of all time. and they're both pretty recent as well. Uh, they're by a Polish director, uh, called Paweł Pawlikowski. Um, these two films are quite critically acclaimed. Uh, the first one was made in 2013 and it's called Ida, uh, I-D-A for those who don't know how to spell what I just said, Ida. And then the second one was made in 2018, Uh, called cold war uh cold war has been released by criterion i don't believe ida has but i think they're both awesome they're both amazing films cold war i think in my humblest opinion is probably the best looking film ever made uh and i just i love the cinematography i love the way he shoots his films it's just it just does something different for me i don't know what it is about it I love the way he shoots people. You'll notice this when you watch it. I won't get too deep, but you'll know when you watch it, he shoots people with a lot of headroom, a lot of room above their heads. And I don't know if that's, I know. There's just something very iconoclastic about how he shoots people. Like the Yeah, like exactly. The poster on, of Ida. <laughs> like on the poster. That's pretty much like all of his films just like look like that. Uh, there's something very iconoclastic about how he shoots people. Um, but yeah, the films both look incredible. Uh, I rewatched Cold War recently about two or three weeks ago uh, so I'm not going to rewatch it again but it's been about a year since I've seen Ada so I'm definitely going to re-watch um, that one probably during the week and um, I'll just give you kind of a really brief overview of the two films just so you know what you're kind of getting into so with Ada uh, it's about a novice nun who goes to meet her aunt um, I'm going to be able to describe this way better than this the, the internet does so basically Ada she is about, she's been a nun for most of her life since, since she's been, she was sort of taken in by the nunnery after World War II. And um, she's about to be sort of go through the rites to actually become a nun. But then her aunt comes to visit her and tells her that she's actually Jewish. She was born from Jewish parents who were hiding during World War II. And that's why she was given up to the nunnery. So she kind of has this crisis of identity. Um, and she basically travels with her aunt to kind of spend a few days with her before she goes through these rights to become a nun. Um, I know that sounds super boring, but it's a really great film. Uh, A lot of stuff happens. um, There's a lot of really cool imagery, really great storytelling, really great character development. And then the second film called War, um, which is basically kind of a love story told over a couple of decades between these two Polish people. Uh, One is a singer, and then the other is basically a a leader of a theater group. Um, and they're kind of split by the Cold War, as the title alludes, because uh, he runs off to France. She stays behind, but then they sort of meet each other on and off again over different periods. Um, so, yeah, those are the two films. I'm looking forward to talking about them because, like I said, they're two of my favorite films. And they're both quite short as well. Both of them are less than 90 minutes long. So uh, we'll be putting you through hell. At least, if you don't like them, uh, it won't be too much time. Uh, I can't wait till my next it.
2: pick is two five-hour movies. So it's going to be uh, <laughs> set in Tango Bellator
1: week. <laughs> I'd be really disappointed if Ida is not a nunsploitation movie, Adam. I'm just going to put that other.
0: Oh, it's as it's as far from nunsploitation as humanly possible. <laughs> it just is not kidding.
2: big nun. Uh, what is it? Uh, new nuns with big guns. That's. <laughs> that's uh, it's as it's as far from that as possible.
0: Um. There is sex in both of them, but oh, not, not non-sploitation either, unfortunately. Um, cool. Well, what have you guys been watching then? Do you guys want to share something you've seen recently before we close off?
2: Uh, uh Yeah, sure. I can go first real quick. Um, so uh, as much as I just complained about television just like a minute, like, I don't know, like 20 minutes ago. Uh, I did one of the few shows I did watch just wrapped up just finished uh, Better Call Saul so I just want to shout that out like no one's ever heard of it Uh, mostly just because I'm still wrapping my feelings for it Um, it was way better than it should have been Uh, I think I don't know if either one of you guys seen Breaking Bad I can't remember Mm -hmm. oh wow okay so you go so Breaking Bad of course was put as like one of the greatest television shows ever I put it pretty highly myself So then they take the comic relief character, give them a spinoff, and you're like, this is going to be awful. And it wasn't. It was incredibly well done. Uh, uh, The finale just hit, and I might like it better than Breaking Bad, like, slightly, uh, which is surprising. They, I don't know. It just, like, it wrapped up everything really well, uh, and I think that's awesome, uh, because everything else I've been watching is, like, bottom barrel Toby Hooper stuff, so I don't know how much I want to shout that out, but (laughs) <laughs> so I'll shout out, uh, Better Call that was a lot of fun and now i have television hangover so what about you chris
1: that's awesome um i re-watched superman recently the the 1978 version okay richard donner okay richard donner and i saw that mario Puzo was a screenwriter and i think like, that's kind of interesting so i dug into it and i saw that there was a guy named tom mankovitz who was uncredited i was like mankovitz what do i know that name from uh, so I dig. he dug a little bit deeper. So Herman Mankiewicz was the guy that co-wrote Citizen Kane. Okay. And his brother's son is Tom Mankiewicz. And I read an interview he did when he was like much later in life, like it was like in 2006, he did an interview and uh, he, was, he uh, was very honest, much more honesty than you typically get from people when they're kind of in the industry. And he, he said the Mario Puzo script was unfilmable. <laughs> um, but uh, apparently, I didn't know this, but apparently Puzo has never had a script that was used. Like, apparently he's a bad screenwriter. That
2: He's not uh, the best writer. Like, I love the Godfather book, but it is
1: pulpy as hell. Like, he's just that kind of writer. Interesting. Anyway, yeah. so, uh, I, I don't know enough about that to have an opinion, but interesting little that this Mankiewicz guy said it like it was known. He was just a bad screenwriter, which I did not know. <laughs> but, um, so apparently uh, they, there was a, he, he had a, um, uh, what's it called, the Screen Actors Guild, required him to not be listed as a screenwriter due to the way that the, the labor laws work. So they had to create a title for him called Creative Consultant. Uh, and he's listed in, in a position, you know, kind of like when the credits are going in the beginning, it ends in director. And so it's like you get more important as you go kind of towards the, the, the end. And he was listed after the writers. So it was like written by Putso and then creative consultant Mankiewicz. And it caused such an out, uh, like uproar in the Screen Actors Guild. They sued him. And now they create something called the Mankiewicz Rule. So it, like if you're, it, you have to be listed before them. Anyways, it, just kind of an interesting backstory and a kind of a tie into how, you know, tied together Hollywood all is. The guy, the, the nephew of uh, Citizen Kane's screenwriter was, uh, was working on a Superman script in the 70s with Dick Donner. Um, and on the other end of the spectrum, in terms of Hollywood, somebody who's outside of Hollywood, uh, I saw the second Rudy Ray Moore movie, which is called The Human Tornado. Y'all have gotta see it. It is so crazy and like fun. It's like a, imagine a variety show Basically, where like Rudy Ray Moore plays this guy that, you know, he's called a human tornado because when he has sex, he destroys the woman and destroys the bedroom. Right. Add that. <laughs> so there's even a scene like near the end. It's not I wouldn't say the nudity is explicit, like it's relatively tame considering the premise. But there's a scene where you kind of hear them having sex and you see the room just like falling apart because he's destroying or some of like that. Uh, to to me. <laughs> and it's um but even beyond that like the whole thing is funny like it's just he is like having a hell of a time in his memoir before he died um it came out that he had been gay his whole life but he was closeted his whole life and it's fascinating because he has these characters that are very feminine or or, or maybe even in drag but he is he just has like a or you know i guess trans um male characters or trans female characters, excuse me, dressing as women. But he has like, th- this is all in the film. And it's like not really considered weird in the movie. It's just part of the story, the way it's told. And then he has like this kind of badass martial arts section that's kind of sped up to almost seem like a comic book. Um, But this is all on the back of Dolomite, right? Dolomite was made for, I forget what it was, $200,000 or something. And it made 12 million. So he had money to play with and his follow-up was Human Tornado and just the intro alone, I beg y'all to watch it. It's the coolest intro to a movie ever because it's just him celebrating himself as Dolomite. And he's like, he's like so proud of himself and he's putting it on the screen and it's just all about how great he is. And he's back for another movie. And he walks off, you know, like the directed by, um, the uh, like the, the, the credits part. He puts it on a cape and he throws the cape over himself and he walks away. And that's how the opening credit sequence ends. Um, it's, it's just a fantastic piece of cinema. I was, I was dying. So please watch Human Tornado. That's awesome.
2: I mean, the title kind of has me, which apparently the guy, he only made like three movies. I was looking him up. But he also has
1: Petey Wheatstraw, which is on the Criterion channel. Oh, okay, so it's a little bit misleading. So Rudy Ray Moore is the creative force behind all these. So okay. he, he was also in PD Wheatstraw. So, but there's, um, yeah, it's one of those like, uh, who's the uh, Ray Harryhausen things where Harryhausen technically wasn't the director even though he was like the main creative force. This is another one of those. So okay. look up Rudy Ray Moore, not, not the director of, of uh, Human Tornado. Uh, fascinating character. Anyways, this is uh, yeah. I I think it's the coolest one one of the coolest movies I've seen in a long time.
2: That's it's on Tubi. I might have to throw it on one day when I get some time.
1: Yeah, it's great. You won't be disappointed. Please let me know if you do. I I guess right at the end, I just want to thank everybody for listening. I I still still blows me away that we're clocking in over you know hundred or hundreds of views or listens depending on the episode. So just thank y'all and. There's some good stuff coming up too. So keep, keep coming in.